All right, everybody. We're all pumped up. That's it. They had the best possible start to a season. Came out. The lineup put up 10 runs, uh, three home runs, a grand slam, a packed house, electric atmosphere. And now we're all we're all on board, right, Bob? Absolutely on board. We weren't going to do this until Monday night, but I mean, I, I texted you what like five o'clock. Game okay, we need to, let's, said, let's do this tonight. Let's we do need to tonight. do it tonight. Let's get back into it. Let's go. Yes. Uh, no, really a great opening day for the Phillies. Win the game ten to four over uh, the Atlanta Braves. Um, it, it was it was like the old days. It was reminiscent of the old days. Everybody who was down there said that, oh, my God, it felt like 2008 all over again. There was that kind of atmosphere and buzz. Um, Harper played to the crowd. McCutcheon played to the crowd. Really just it, it could not have gone any better. Um, there was the Phillies made it a no doubt about it win. There was nothing that you know the the Gabe Kapler could have done to make people scratch their heads like he did last year on opening day. He just basically let them play, um, and uh, and it really worked out. Um, so you know, in the grand scheme of things, one game, um, it's a good win. It's a good feeling. It can carry over for a couple days before they play again on Saturday afternoon. Um, so that so that's you know there's that's a good positive start to the season. Well, uh, well, I think it's I think it's interesting you say that because I think we're all smart enough to know that it's one game out of 162 games. Yeah. The thing that has me so excited tonight as I kind of digest this game is that it's so much different than it's been in recent seasons. And yeah. I'm quick to point out that the Phillies were competitive last year, that they were in first place into August. I think we all understand that. The thing that's so amazing to me, though, is that we're on Twitter today, and we see them walking in, and the Phillies tweet, like, everybody's, like, opening day outfits, and Harper's got his Pulp Fiction shirt on, and, like, Scott Kingery's wearing the sunglasses inside, and everyone's like, damn, like, look at these guys. And, like, there's this... There's this almost like, um, I don't know, the Phillies are almost cool again, I would say. Like, it's fun. And all of these other additional things that are taking place off the field have got everybody excited. Like, yeah, today was a lot of fun because they banged, what, three homers and they won the game. But the crowd was awesome. It looked awesome. It was a nice day. You know, Harper with the the fanatic cleats. The whole thing was just perfect in so many ways beyond what actually transpired on the baseball field. And that, to me, is the thing that's so much more promising. And the thing that's most exciting is that the Phillies are cool again. The the interest is genuinely there. And, And it's not just because it's opening day. I think that there's going to be a significant carryover effect to this. And that's kind of what has me really excited about what I took in today. It was well, it was fun to be a Phillies fan again, and not just because of the baseball. Yeah, and that and that's good. And that's and you know, that's what made it so much fun to be down there any night back in, you know, a, a decade ago. I mean, that's what this is what it was like. I mean, we went down there because it was fun. And, and you know, yeah, the team was good, and yeah, they were exciting. But I mean, the 162 game season is a long season, no matter how you slice it. Yet every game had that kind of fun atmosphere. Um, yeah, not to mention at the time I was uh, 20 to 25 years old. Right. And, uh, there yeah. was, it was it was a nice time down at the yard. I'll just say no, that, absolutely, you know? absolutely. Um, so so like I think that that's a I think that's a great thing, uh, and that's you know th- that's what's important about winning today it didn't matter how you won but winning today that's what was important I I will say this though Bob you know it's funny last year when we started this podcast uh, right before opening day and we kind of gave our predictions we both predicted a decent season out of the team a little bit better than it ended up being because there was that epic collapse but we both were in that realm of you know 83 to 85 wins and uh it was funny when we look back at it, we look back at it like we thought that the Phillies were going to be successful a year ago because they had a good lineup and their pitching was going to struggle and it turned out to be the, the exact opposite <laughs> the reason that they were good last year was because of their starting pitching and the and the lineup killed them um and now we come into this season and we're all excited and think that they're going to be a good team and think that they're going to you know win you know 87 games or more and the reason we believe that is because we think they have a great lineup, but our one concern is pitching. But it feels year, completely different, right? Yeah, last year we were just idiots, and, and this year we're right. You know, <laughs> This time we have it right, I promise you. So if you're listening right now, trust us that we've got this thing nailed down. 
Um, you know what? Before we even get into the baseball aspect of it, like, let me ask you this, because we talked about it in our last episode earlier this week. Uh, the whole idea of Bryce Harper kind of marketing himself. He has mm-hmm. all these Instagram posts, and they're, you know, very like, hey, I, I want to party on the same streets as Bobby Clark and Chase Utley. And then he has the Fanatic cleats today, and he comes walking in, like I said, with the gritty and Fanatic Pulp Fiction shirt. I think that the that shirt took off to the extent that it crashed that company's website. Website. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, I forget the name of it. You were actually the one that dug it up. Who was it? What was uh, the name man, you're going to make me go back know. and yeah. look now? Yeah, I don't know. It was, but <laughs> so, I mean, I actually checked it out. I said, I, I wonder what the deal is here. And I, I went yeah, on but, their website and it crashed. I yeah, mean, they their website handle crashed. its traffic. So, I mean, it's, I guess my question to you is, is, is this sincere or is this just simply a guy that is um, masterful at marketing himself and, and has a team around him that really knows how to do this because when I read it I think that that is the case but I do feel some sincerity in the things that are going on here there is a picture and and call me a sucker but after Reese Hoskins hits the grand slam today and Harper meets him at the plate and you know it's a it's a still shot he looks like just like it's pure jubilation almost on his face it's it's one day. There's a honeymoon period going on here. There are going to be issues with Bryce Harper and this team. I'm sure there's going to be issues with Bryce Harper and this fan base eventually. But right now, it's just it's like this is a dream come true. Pinch me. Yeah, um, I, I think it's brilliant. I think that what he's doing is really smart because. Whoever whoever has guided him in this, I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying Bryce Harper is not a smart enough guy to kind of figure this out on his own. I'm sure that he had a real sense of it, but I'm also sure that there's some, probably somebody who's working for him and with him, whether it's whether it's Scott Boris or they have a marketing person who's working. You know, uh, Boris has a marketing guy or, or marketing woman who's working with him to do this as well. They really kind of understand what this city is about fan base wise and they know that this stuff is going to just win over this city they know how much they know how much the athletes mean to the people of Philadelphia and so when there's any kind of connection that is created between the player and the fan they immediately you know get a little bit longer rope okay so what the, so what i think is brilliant about it is is that he's gone out of his way you know with all the stuff that he said the, like you mentioned the the instagram posts then he comes out and you know he's handing out copies of uh, of mlb the show to kids as he's walking into the into the stadium today and he wears the fanatic cleats he does the big bow to the fans in right field a fist pump to the other fans in the outfield um he's got the celebration with the basketball thing with andrew mccutcheon after the game and all that stuff is going to play brilliantly in this city and what it does is it kind of lets them, you know, hey, if I get off to a slow start, you guys aren't going to kill me. <laughs> well, it's amazing because I think that uh, I wrote a story today after the game, and I talked about the the depth of the lineup and how it's kind of scary. It's like a wave after wave after wave type of lineup, and that's my interpretation of it. And we'll talk about the lineup in a little bit because I know you have some thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I, I look at this, and I just see, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel pretty optimistic about this team. A year ago, I thought I was, um, once we really got into the season, I would say even when they were still playing well, like June maybe, I think then that's when you and I both kind of fell into this pattern of, yeah, but, or, you know, the fall is coming here. And people were accusing us, I think, of being almost uh, overly pessimistic. Now, today when I wrote the story, somebody in the comment section on Crossing Broad, which, by the way, I just want to say um, so many intelligent and insightful comments on our website <laughs> on a daily basis. And really for me, when I'm tired and I don't want to write, it's the commenters that bring me back. You know, I woke up this morning at 6.40 and I said, damn, I'm really tired. I got to go to my day job, but I got to bang out this article just for the commenters. Bob, um, these are your readers. <laughs> yeah, these are my people. These are the people I'm serving. And, you know, they said, uh, this, this guy says, like, you're, you're being a homer, you know. You're, you're putting a positive spin on this. And I said, you know, that's the first time I think at Crossing Broad I've been accused of being a homer. Yeah. And, and the reason why I say this is because I think I'm smart enough to know bullshit when I see it or when I know a falsehood when I see it. But at the same time, is I don't know, as pessimistic, as pessimistic as I can be by nature, I'm out there watching Harper today in front of a sold-out crowd. 
and I'm seeing the red and the baby blues out there, and I'm just in the maroons from the 80s, and I'm eating it all up, and I'm just in love with the entire thing. And, you know, if they lose 2 nothing on Saturday night, I'll be pissed off and probably back to right where I would be normally. But just after that day and just taking in the whole scene and everything that there was to it, uh, I'm just I'm very, very excited about what I think this team could be. And, and really, I think even beyond wins and losses, I think it's just going to be a fun product to watch with a lot of interesting angles. And that's something that was certainly missing last season, even when they were, even when they were winning baseball games. Yeah, and, and and that's fair. I mean, look, there's you can't for anybody to sit there and suggest that you shouldn't be positive after today is is ridiculous. Is they're they're just they're just you know trying to be you know, trying to be different, trying to play devil's advocate, like they're trying to just be a troll, really more than anything else. Okay, um, no, there's absolutely reason to be positive after today. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go gaga over it. I mean, it's one win. Yeah, and I'm not going gaga saying, like, oh, this is going to be a 95-win team. When, yeah, yeah. You know, two nights ago, I said it was going to be an 87-win team. Right. I don't think that my expectations are necessarily um, any different or uh, more rosy, you know, in terms of my outlook right now. I just think that um, it was just kind of nice to see it play out. Like, I think we all knew that today was going to, to be the type of day that it was in terms of the, the festivities, the atmosphere, and all the other extracurricular stuff beyond the game but just to really kind of take it in it it really did kind of just give me like a wow this is real you know after after the and I I used this phrase the other night the hysteria that we kind of um, experienced in the wake of the Harper signing then you go through three weeks of spring training which is still sort of a drag but then today it just sort of all came together and it was it was electric yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Um, it's funny, you know. We have a, you know, people on Twitter after we put the episode out um, uh, yesterday. Um, well, I guess it was Wednesday, um, depending on when you're listening to this. But the last episode we put out on Wednesday, um, you know, we got I got a little bit of grief for picking them to only win 87 games, and I so I kind of you know I kind of defended it on Twitter, and then the same guy on Twitter. Who who said it to me on Twitter? Finds me on Facebook, <laughs> and sends me a message on Facebook. It says, "Still think they're an eighty-seven win team?" I'm like, "Yeah, like it's one, yeah, it's we, one game." Because but we that's watched nine innings. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but that, but that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's what my concern is. Um, if I if I if I'm going to pull back for a second and say what concerns me, and the concern that I have is that. If this team hits any kind of a rut at any point this season, they're gonna get they're they're gonna get killed by this fan base for no reason for not and unfairly like it's kind of unfair to me because I think that I think that this fan base is so caught up in this and thinks that this is oh my god this is gonna we're gonna be the best team in baseball now and they're just missing the they're just missing the the boat on that. Just a little bit. I re- I hope the Phillies win. Uh, you know, every game. I really do. But the re- you got to stand back and be realistic about it a little bit, guys. And and I know you are. I'm not saying you personally, Bob, but fans in general. Like it's one win. It it really it's it's a it was a good win. It's great. Womp, womp, womp. But but seriously, like don't just don't suddenly turn it into oh my. And this is this is yeah, like the one thing that Philadelphia does. All the time with every team. As soon as they play well for one or two games, oh my God, we're going to all the way. Yeah, it's crazy. You got to you got to temper it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, just because they played well today, they hit the ball well. Aaron Nola was good. That doesn't mean that Nick Pavetta is going to be good. That doesn't mean that Jake Arrieta is going to be good. That doesn't mean that Vince Velasquez is going to be good. It doesn't mean all the question marks that we kind of have, uh, you know, leading into this season have all been answered because things went well for one day. But, I mean, it was, to me, sort of reassuring to see what we talked about the other night, which is the depth of the Phillies lineup. Now, I don't know if the Phillies are going to have one of the best offenses in Major League Baseball or in the National League, but the thing that sticks out to me about the Phillies lineup is the depth of it. And the way that it's constructed, I like I said, it, it has this, this wave after wave type of feel to it. And I think it's been a point that's made that's been made by several people, but really the the heart of the Phillies order is now the bottom of the Phillies order. It's we've transitioned here with all the additions that they've made, and I guess when I look at the lineup and the way that today's game unfolded, I am reassured by what I saw in the sense that 
you had the Andrew McCutcheon homer at the beginning of the game. That's fine. But really, if you go into the middle innings, and I guess it was the fourth, if I'm not mistaken. You can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe it was the fourth inning. And this is when they had uh, Segura at third base with nobody out. And uh, Bryce Harper strikes out. And uh, I'm sorry, uh, Reese Hoskins strikes out. And it looks like this is going to be the same inning that we saw a million times a year ago, where the offense just absolutely crumbled, leaves the Phillies in a bind, forces the starter to be really fine, no margin for error as they approach the middle innings uh, of the game. And what we instead get is we get a JT Real Muto walk, and then we get a big two-out RBI single by Odubel Herrera, followed by another one from Cesar Hernandez, and it's 3-1 Phillies. And you saw the... You saw the production at the bottom of the lineup in that particular instance pick up the middle of the order. And that's something that the Phillies have just simply not had for, you know, seven years now. And so that to me was, it's, it's not that the Phillies had taken the lead at that point. I was more encouraged by the fact that the Phillies manufactured those runs in that fashion than I was had Reese Hoskins hit a two-run homer at that point, Yeah, to be perfectly honest and with that's, you. And it's a great point. It's so funny you say that. I was watching the game with my younger son, not Anthony Jr. I was watching with Andrew, um, who's in high school. He came home and you know watched the game. And I looked at him and I said, that is how I want to see the team approach the, their at-bats. I said, that's how you're going to win games. I said, the home runs are nice and all. But doing what they just did here is is the way that you're going to win baseball games. And he and he's like, yeah, Dad, that that was that was cool. I'm like, yeah, absolutely was cool because that's you know you get in the bat and you have two outs and uh, you work the you know, Real Muto works the walk. Okay, great. And then Odubel comes up and gets you know gets the hit. And then and then uh, Hernandez goes opposite field on on his ball that you know hey he sees that the third baseman's off the line a bit. I'm going to put it right down there. Bang, pitch away, go and put it out there. Like that's that's what's been missing. <laughs> <laughs> in a lot of ways from not just the Phillies, <laughs> from baseball in general. But um, that that those runs excited me more than any of the three home runs did. So, And then I look at it, and you come back in the sixth inning, and it's the same deal again. And it, it was yeah. a walk that sort of ignited things. Um, you know, in the bottom of the sixth, Phillies are up 3-1. to one. Uh, The inning starts, Hoskins walks. Uh, Real Muto flies out, Herrera strikes out. So you have a runner on first, two outs. It looks like it's going to be a quiet inning. Cesar Hernandez grinds through in a bat, draws a walk, and then that brings Mike Alfranco to the plate, and then boom, he absolutely destroys a pitch to left field. 415-foot homer, breaks the game wide open in the bottom of the sixth inning. Phillies take a 6-1 to one lead. And again, it was the bottom of the lineup with the production and you know I just think that if the Phillies and I think this goes for pretty much any lineup in Major League Baseball but if you're going to get legitimate production from your six seven eight hitters you're going to be tough to beat but for this lineup to see guys that we may have had some significant question marks about coming into the season Herrera namely uh, how it says our Hernandez rebound after a difficult second half of season ago and then certainly Michael Franco who may be the biggest wild card uh, and maybe the, the most volatile hitter of if anybody in the lineup, what's he going to do? Those early returns to me were very encouraging. They certainly were. They certainly were. Um, n- nine of the ten runs that were driven in today were driven in by guys that were on the roster last year. Um, but granted, seven of them came in two home runs. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, um, yeah, the, yeah, the old guys did did a lot more than the new guys. You know, McCutcheon's leadoff homer aside. Um, I, I will say this though, Bob. I the one thing that I was a little bit concerned about, and again, this is very, very minimal this concern, but um, they only did get seven hits. Yes, three of them were home runs, and the, the home runs were responsible for eight of the ten runs, right? So, you know, obviously the big hits help. But they re- they really only, you know, they had five hits otherwise. Two of them were infield singles by Gene Segura. One was definitely not a single. One was definitely an error. The other one was kind of 50-50, whether it's a hit or an error. Um, so really you're looking at Odubel single, Cesar's single, and then I'm missing one. Um, one other hit that occurred in the game. And, and that's – I just think that you need, you need a little bit – you want more consistency in that regard. I know it sounds like I'm complaining, but I'm not. I mean, you went get ten runs, three home runs are great. Okay, grand slam, three run homer, they're great things. But uh, you know, I, I just worry that over the over the long run, if we're still 
a little bit trying to go for those bigger innings. I I know there was the one inning where they got the two runs on the single single, and that's what I really liked. I said it was my favorite inning of the game. Uh, but I do worry that we're just let's get guys on base by grinding and then hope somebody hits a home run. What's going to happen when those home runs aren't there? Yeah, and I mean, there are going to be nights where those home runs aren't there. I guess that living and dying by the beginning or the home run, though, um, isn't as terrible of a strategy when you actually have the guns to do it. Yeah. You know, like last year when we look at this team, they kind of lived and died by the beginning, and there were very, very few players capable of, of providing the firepower necessary to use that strategy, frankly. At least this year now, when you you look at this lineup, I mean, there are eight guys in it that that theoretically should be able to hurt you at any point. And so I think that that would be the the big difference. But certainly I do do understand the complaint or the the concern, I guess I should say. The one thing I will say in response to that, though, is they did draw six walks, which I think is is important. And I know that in the city, sometimes we we tend to minimize the importance of the walk, but the walk was critical uh, in what the Phillies did today. Obviously, like we talked about, um, the, the walk by Real Muto extended the inning. Uh, in which they scored the two runs on the Herrera and Hernandez base hits. Um, And then Hernandez, he drew a walk that was extremely important and then setting up Franco. So you see the value of the walk in that sense. And I think that at the end of the day, the Phillies, they did a good job of putting base runners on and they converted when they did. And and so for a day, that's kind of, I I think, something that we should be fairly excited about. The the other thing that I would, would mention very quickly is not only the production at the bottom of the order, but... Something that I think teams are really going to have to think about this season, and it's, okay, there's a base open. Do we want to put Bryce Harper on in order to pitch to mm-hmm. Reese Hoskins? And I know that this is something that the Phillies talked about. I know that after the game today, Bryce Harper had spoken about how him and Reese Hoskins had had, had this conversation during the spring. You know, if they put me on, the next guy behind me does damage, and that's exactly what happened today. And if I were an opponent of the Phillies, I would certainly look at that and go, okay, this may be a problem because I think that Reese Hoskins – I mean, you know, we talked about it earlier this offseason, but with competent hitters in a lineup that is this deep, finally being surrounded by other guys that can help him out, he becomes all the more dangerous, and and we saw that today. Yeah, you know what, though? I'll tell you what. If I'm Brian Snicker, I would have done the same thing. I mean, considering the situation. I, I don't necessarily know if I walk Bryce Harper because I'm worried about him, but I walk Bryce Harper in that spot because it's second and third and nobody out. And you're still kind of in the game at that yeah, and point. And the game's about to get away from you. Right. Well, you you're know. you're still within three runs, and so you really want to try and set up a ground ball. Hopefully, we could throw home, get the force, or maybe get a double play. Yeah, get a double play, and at the very least, maybe get out of the inning, allowing yeah. one run, and you, as you're, opposed to you're four. down three. Yeah, right. And, yeah. and I do understand that. I so, think from a, a percentage standpoint, that probably was the smart play. Obviously, the result didn't necessarily yeah, Luke, support Luke, that. Luke but. Jackson just made a terrible, terrible pitch. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I mean, Hoskins went and got it. I mean, it, but he it was a breaking ball that just kind of didn't break all the way. And um, it was a little out over the plate, and Reese went and got it and, and crushed it, and it was awesome. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, it, you, it, it is going to make the other team's manager question who who do you want to face. And, I, you know, if it was if it was a scenario where it was just an open base with two outs and I have to make a decision, am I pitching to Harper or am I pitching to Hoskins, I think it would depend on who's been playing better at that point in the season. And, you know, if it was today, I probably would have pitched to Harper. Right. Because he just, you know, didn't have as long in spring training. He didn't have a great spring training. You know, you got him swinging two times already today. Didn't look good on either of those. Struck out on sliders down and in. Um, I probably would have attacked Harper. That doesn't mean it would have. If I'm the opposing manager, I do that every time. It's just you know, in, in the you know, tr- just off of, off of feel. You know, that this is when I say managers need to manage off of feel sometimes. Well, this is one of those ones where I would sit there and say I probably would rather face Harper in that situation if it's two outs okay right second and third nobody out he did the right thing um I also think that Snicker looked at this and and said I'm not going to let this guy beat me on this day I I I do you know I think that these guys have the numbers in front of them and from a baseball standpoint like we said it makes sense and we just went through why it made sense but I just feel like sometimes the moment like the narrative does does leak into these managers brains a little bit and I think he looked at it and said like Nah, 
Now we'll, we'll we'll try Hoskins. I'm not I'm not gonna let this happen. Yeah, this guy with his cleats and his three hundred thirty million dollars and these forty four thousand assholes this guy out with here. His, this and, guy with his cleats. You know, like, I'm not doing this today. Like not today. Maybe maybe Saturday night. Maybe Sunday, but not today. Yeah, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. And then uh, we do, and I, I think we're kind of glossing over McCutcheon. He was on base twice today. He walked and then obviously led off yeah. the game with a homer, and we talked in the last podcast, and uh, I had written about this on the website, and it, I looked smart for at least a day, at least on this particular take, and we'll talk to a ba- uh, about a bad one of mine in a minute. But um, really what you see with McCutcheon there is he gets a fastball early in the game, 92-mile-an-hour four-seam fastball, and he just turns on it to dead center field with the leadoff homer. And I think that, uh, and, and if you didn't hear it or if you didn't read the article, I'll, I'll reiterate it. He was extremely successful last season uh, in terms of plate discipline. He was the second best in Major League Baseball uh, at limiting swings on pitches outside of the strike zone, uh, which is obviously a very important characteristic for a leadoff guy or a successful leadoff hitter. And then on top of that, he was a very good hitter against hard stuff last season, both four-seam fastballs and sinkers. He had an OPS well over 900. He struggled with change-ups and sliders. And what you're going to see, I think, a lot this season is teams say, we do not want to pitch to Bryce Harper, to Reese Hoskins, to JT Realmuto with men on base. We have to attack the top of the order. And McCutcheon made him pay, and he made him pay right away, right off the bat. And not that I expect him to be a 30-homer guy this year or anything like that, but I do think that you can expect him to be a very productive leadoff man. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, and, and you don't again, you don't need him to be a superstar up at the top. If he gets on base, you know, 350, 360, that's huge. And I think he will. Yeah. Uh, I think that that is um, – that's that doesn't require an optimistic outlook in order to, to no. think that may happen. I think he, I think he was wasn't he three fifty last year and he hit two sixty four. Yeah, I actually think he might have been into the three sixties last year. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah I, you know. I, so I mean, we're not talking about you know a, a, an epic season from for him from. But if that if if that's what he does, if he gets on base at you know thirty five percent of the time, thirty six percent of the time, he's going to score hundred runs. Yeah, in this in this line, it just he just is. That's just with the guys that he has behind him. So that's really you know, I'll tell you, that's a smart move, making him the leadoff hitter. There's no question. I mean, I, I don't think it, I don't think there's an argument to be made to say, well, bat him down and bat Hernandez at the top. No, he's got he's he gets on base as well as Cesar Hernandez, if not better, and he has that added bonus of the fact that he can drive the ball out of the park, and, and that's. That makes him far more dangerous and a guy you want to have getting most of your, you know, the most at bats um, between him and Hernandez. That's who you would want to have more at bats. So we got a pretty positive uh, return on the offense in game one. And let's, yes! let's flip the flip the script here a little bit and talk about the pitching. I think we've arrived at the point now where guys like Aaron Nola, you know, when you look at him, six innings, two hits, one earned run, eight strikeouts. He did have five walks. Um it's just almost like ho-hum with Aaron Nola when he has a good outing like this now. I mean, he's reached this level of performance where you go, yeah, he was pretty good today. <laughs> you yeah. know, like I don't want to say we're taking it for granted. I think we all appreciate what he is, but, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, what I really liked about him today is he really confounded the Braves a little bit. I mean, eight, uh, six of his eight strikeouts were looking. Um, and Aaron Ciarte three times. All, all three times he faced him, couldn't get the bat off his shoulder. Struck out looking all three times. And it was three different pitches. He yeah, got him with a. Can I tell you how a... nice it was to see him go 0 for 4 today with three strikeouts? <laughs> like, he's a guy, him and Nick Markakis. And like, yeah, I know he the had Phillies, the RBI right? single early in the game, but yeah. it just feels like those guys hit like seven seven fifty against the Phillies last year. Yeah. Yeah. I think I. Oh, by, by, by the way, I think I mentioned earlier that it was Markakis who hit the home run off Nairs. It wasn't. It was Matt Joyce who had just. Uh, they had just traded for from, yeah. from, from, from Oakland. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but yeah, no, in Ciarte, the three different strikeouts. Um, it was a uh, fastball away the first time. It was a curveball on the second pitch, and it was a nasty two seamer uh, on the third one that like started on his on his hip and had him diving the hell out of the box, and it came right back on the corner of the plate. It was just a, a beautiful pitch by Nola. Um, he did struggle a little bit with fastball command early. That's where the walks really came in. Um, only one of them uh, hurt him. That was the walk to Acuna uh, in the second inning, I guess it was. So he let off the second and ended up stealing second and then scored on the single. Um, 
so that but that's the only one that hurt him. The other four walks, he stranded them or got out of it with uh, I think there was a dub, one double play in there. Um anyway, it was it was a really well-pitched game by Nola and I think the the sharper he gets, he's going to be even that much that much better. And you're right. I mean, we're going to just come to expect this on 90% of his starts. And I was impressed with him in the sense that it, it appeared that he may only last uh, four or five innings today. And so for him to really settle in in the, in the fourth and fifth and sixth innings and give the Phillies some length, not that they desperately needed it on opening day with an off day tomorrow or today if this is when you're listening to it on Friday morning, but it, to, to get to six there, I, it was pretty impressive considering the start and the volume of pitches that he threw early in the game. Um, and I'm really not too overly concerned about the five walks, as, as neither are you, but uh, he had four walks in his second start of the 2018 season, and then I believe in total he walked four batters uh, on four different occasions. He did it twice in June, and then he did it in his last start of the season in 2018. So this isn't something that uh, we expect to see from him, but it's also something that I'm not overly concerned about. I think that this was just kind of maybe the, the, the juices were flowing. Everything was a little bit revved up in, in game one in front of that crowd today. And for him to pitch as well as he did and settle down after a little bit of a rocky start, uh, I, was, I was impressed with him. Yeah, no, he was, he was fine. It's, it's what came in after him that left me a little... Uh... <laughs> and now we're reaching the, uh, the pessimistic portion of the program, uh, for those of you just tuning in. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about this. So uh, I was patting myself on the ass for my Andrew McCutcheon take, and uh, here comes here comes one that I might not uh, feel too good about in uh, a week or two. Uh, so I think um, I'm pretty high on Hector Neris. I like Hector Neris. I know he really struggled at the start of last season, but he settled in. He went to the minor leagues. He came back, and he was awesome from the middle of August onward last year. Uh, he was not awesome today. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, he pitched one inning. He gave up two hits, two earned runs, obviously the homer that you just spoke of to uh, Joyce. Um, Anthony, why don't you walk us through and uh, give us a little bit of an evaluation on Hector Naris today? So what So what made him so good in the second half of last year was he had ultimate confidence in his split-fingered fastball. And it was, it was the pitch that, you know, he was striking out. What was that ridiculous total that he had, like the number of strikeouts? Yeah, he was well over uh, 14 strikeouts per nine innings. He yeah, was striking it, it, out 50% of the batters he faced yeah, when it he was came abs- back up last season. It was absurd, Every right? Every other guy he was striking out. Yeah, and it was because he had a he had supreme confidence in that splitter. And he comes up, and, and against Joyce, he does he has, you know, 3-2 count on him, two pitches. He doesn't throw, throw it either time. He just threw two... You know, lazy fastballs that were up, and the first one he fouls off, the second one he puts in the seats. Like, and I, I was a little concerned by that. I'm like, why? It's your best pitch. You struck out fifty percent of the batters you faced in the second half of the season with it. Like, why are we not going to it here? What's, what's the, what's the rationale? And I don't know. Is it maybe a, you know, is it, you know, he hasn't worked with Real Muto a lot. Maybe they don't, you know, they're not on the same page quite yet. It's day one of the season. Uh, it, just as much as I tell you, we got we can't be overly optimistic. We can't be overly. Well, is the rationale that hey, it's six to one. We're holding a five-run lead. The last thing I want to do is is throw the split finger, put another guy on base. Now we got two base runners on. I mean, do you think it was more just a matter of we're going to use a more aggressive pitch selection because of the score when he <laughs> entered, or or do you think it was a lack of confidence in the pitch? It could be. It it could well be. You could be right on. You know, like you when I right coach, on. right? Uh, again, I, I'm a, I'm a high school coach. We're we're not talking about the same thing here. Um, when I when I have a multi run lead though late in the game, and I think that my win probability is probably uh, I don't know north of eighty percent. I'd say the last thing I want to do is put guys on. So when I get a two two count. I'll throw a fastball to a guy if I feel that my pitcher has better fastball command because I don't even want to run a full count, let alone put the guy on base. It's like, I, I guess the theory is almost like, let's not, let's not screw around here, let's attack. And then let's attack some more and make them earn it. And then, you know, the problem with that is when you're playing baseball in South Jersey, that's, that's one thing. And then when you're in the major leagues, you can't just throw a cookie down the middle and expect a guy like Joyce to, to miss it. So it's apples and oranges to an extent, but I just wonder, was the philosophy based upon the idea that let's limit the base runners and make them put the ball in play? It could well be, but the one thing I say is Atlanta's got a heck of a lineup. Yeah, and, and, and with ju- that said, it was a horrendous pitch. I mean, it was you, a terrible you can, pitch. You can throw a fastball and it be an effective fastball in that situation and, yeah. and throw one that's just 
Yeah, I mean, Atlanta's got a good lineup. Um, This is Joyce coming up, and he's turning the lineup over at this point. So you're now going to have to face, you know, the top of their order again. Like I, I don't know. I just, I just didn't like his approach. I I thought Naris's approach was not a good approach, and maybe it was. Yes, it was low lower leverage situation than than he normally faces, and maybe he's better off in the in the higher leverage stuff. I don't know. I just it was just a it was just a, a a bad outing. Just a bad outing. And it could just well be one bad outing and they trot him back out on Saturday. Maybe he comes out and strikes out the side in in, in the seventh inning and in you know, in a close game and, and then we're we're forgetting tonight, you know, today. Uh, who knows? But if you're just if we're analyzing the game in the vacuum, it was not a good outing. And uh then we had Robertson come in, right? And yeah. uh he I mean, I don't know. He gave up a couple base hits in the beginning of the inning. He gets out of it one inning, uh, two hits, an earned run, uh, and a walk. I'm not – I don't know, man. Like, we're reacting to the opening day. What we just saw, one game, I'm not concerned about that. I mean, it wasn't a good inning. It didn't look great. But I just – I have no conclusion to make based off of what no. I saw in one well, inning. You know, I don't – He's a I, really so, good reliever with a great track record. Am I yeah, concerned about one run? No. No, that's the difference between Robertson and Naris is that, okay, he gave up one run with a with a seven-run lead. Eh, no big deal. Whereas, you know, his track his track record shows that he does, you know, he's really good and does the job, you know, 95% of the time, great. Um, Hector Naris has not been, doesn't have that track record. And so, therefore, when you see Naris kind of have a bad inning, you worry. Whereas if you see Robertson have it, with a seven-run lead, you're just kind of like, meh, no big deal. Yeah. You know. Um, and then Nishek comes in. Yeah, he closes the door uh, in the ninth inning. But uh, got, you know, every ball was kind of, you know, hit, well, the first two guys, the first two outs were kind of hit hard. Um, he g- gave up a, an opposite field single and then a line drive back through the middle that he spears and turns a double play. Um, but he had absolutely no idea that he caught. It's a great play. <laughs> was, I mean, it may have been a lucky a, play, but it was a yeah. great play. <laughs> it was a and great again, play. Though, he wasn't yeah. overly impressive or sharp, but we're talking about a 38-year-old guy that's pitching yeah. in a six-run game yep. in the ninth inning. I, I don't expect Pat yeah. Neshek to bring his best stuff in that scenario. So I think that the real interesting thing, or maybe if you're reading the tea leaves, that you can make a deduction here is that Sir Anthony Dominguez appears to be this team's closer at the start of the season. Would you agree with that statement, or have you the yep. the mindset that this is Gabe Kapler and there's six closers and and we'll, well see? Uh, so I I think that that's a I think that's a very astute uh, observation by you because obviously Naris was warming up uh, even before. Uh, Nola came out, so you knew he was going to be the first one in. So, okay, he's their seventh inning guy. And Robertson was warming up, and then Hoskins hits the grand slam, and my thought process was they're going to sit him down and they're going to trot out you know, Adam Morgan or, or you know, Jose Alvarez or Vinny Velasquez, for that matter, <laughs> right? I mean, somebody's going, to, somebody's going to come into the game here that's not uh, Robertson, and Robertson still came in. Um and then the broadcasters even said it. Well, we might see uh, Dominguez, I guess, in the ninth inning. And I'm thinking, well, that means that that's kind of what they've been told. You know, the broadcasters have the meeting with the manager beforehand. So uh, obviously, in my mind, the plan was Naris seven, Robertson eight, Dominguez nine. Um, they don't go to him because they have a seven-run lead, and they go to or six-run lead, and they go to Nishek instead. Um, but uh, yeah, it looks like they're thinking Sir Anthony is going to be the the closer. Uh, but I do think Gabe is, you know, how he is with <laughs> with the bullpen, and I think it's going to be whatever situation they like the matchup best is when they're going to go to whoever they're going to go to. And I think you're going to have multiple guys on this team with ten plus saves. I really do. I think. Dominguez will have maybe maybe he has the most, but I think Robertson's going to break ten. I think Naris, if he's okay, um, could break ten as well. So I, yeah, I, I would it's take the under on that after watching today. Well, again, it's all <laughs> not it, that I'm a guy that doesn't stick yeah. to my takes, but uh, <laughs> it could it could happen. You know, I mean, it, it it all depends. I mean, it depends on how Dominguez performs. What if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? You know, we talked about this last episode. What if what if he's not as you know as good as they think he is? Then what do you do? Then do you just go to Robertson, or do you give you know? Do you like Robertson more in that setup role, 
and give Naris a shot too. Yeah, we like, talked so- a little bit on the uh, last podcast about Dominguez and and how he struggled certainly in the second half. The ERA was well over four. The walk weight, uh, walk rate, excuse me, went up uh, tremendously. Um, strikeouts came down. The batting average against was still pretty solid, but the, the whip really ballooned as well. He wasn't good in the second half of last season, really. Um, and in the spring, he was he was okay. But my concern with him in spring training was more along the lines of that the velocity wasn't really there. In his last appearance, though, he did get back up 96, 97. I think he even topped out at, at 98. Uh, guns are a little hot down there, I will say that. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, there's no reason to think that Sir Anthony Dominguez is going to be bad this season by any stretch, but um, I, I just don't think he's going to be this this lights-out stud star reliever that we saw maybe his first, second month of, of the season last year. Yeah. So yeah, let's no, talk that's, about, that's uh, before we get out of here, I think we're going to be, I think we're going to do pretty well in terms of being efficient this evening. Um, let's talk about the rest of this series. Just a, a quick little preview. On Saturday, 4.05 start time, you're going to get Nick Pavetta, who we like, and we'll see if he can finally put it all together here in 2019. He gets his first crack at it against the Braves and Bryce Wilson. Um, you know, with Pavetta, 4.77 ERA last season, 33 starts. I thought that he overall was better, really, than that ERA may suggest. Uh, he... He kind of, he was inconsistent. He, he was inconsistent from pitch to pitch, inning to inning, game to game last year. Uh, but I really do believe in his stuff, and I think that if he can kind of turn the corner and, and find the, I don't know, the, the, the mental composure aspect of it and really just now two, three years into this thing, kind of refine the craft a little bit, I think he has a chance to be a really good pitcher for the Phillies this year. Yeah, I mean, look, they they want him to be the number two guy. They really do, and they believe in him. And they they believed in him two years ago when he had an ERA over six to to bring him back as a regular in the rotation last year, and which left a couple people scratching their head. Um, We kind of understood why. Uh, We we were high on him before the season last year. Uh, He made us look good for a little while, then not so good for a little while. (laughs) But then uh, then he kind of bounced back a a little bit um, towards the end. and then went, you know, the whole starting rotation went in the tank in the last month of the season. Um, but yeah, no, I think that I think that he's a guy that that could be his ceiling is that to be the number two. Um, and, and, and I he think hasn't it's worth pointing out yet. that the the FIP was almost a run lower than the ERA was last season. So you look at the the, the defensive aspect of things, the Phillies' inability to really catch. You know, I would say 50-50 baseballs. The defense was poor. He ran into some what sabermetricians might say would be bad luck. There were a multitude of factors that kind of played into his ERA being what it was. You look at the stuff, and he's a guy that if, if, if you're a scout and you go and see him on the right day, you'd say, this is a top-of-the-rotation guy. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he possesses that type of arm. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, they face Bryce Wilson uh, in that game, and he is a uh, like a, a Braves top ten prospect. He's not one of baseball's elite prospects, but a guy that they they have a you know that they're pretty high on. Had a decent spring training. He came up actually at the end of the eighteen season. I believe he appeared in three games with the Braves. A um, little bit more than a strikeout per inning uh, in the minor leagues between Double and Triple A in twenty eighteen. Eh, he's not a guy that that really should present. Huge headaches for this offense uh, on Saturday. I mean, again, it's game to game. You never know in baseball, but it, it's not somebody that you look at and go, "Oh shit, Bryce Wilson's pitching on Saturday. We're in trouble." No, um, although uh, there is that, and this has nothing to do with anything. Um, I wouldn't count this as a trend by any stretch of the imagination, but there is that feeling that every time the Phillies face a, a rookie pitcher, <laughs> they struggle. Well, I'll tell you what, if last year's uh, <laughs> if last year's karma or whatever that was last year, uh, if, if that carries over to 2019, then, yeah, you can pencil the Phillies in for <laughs> zero to one runs <laughs> on Saturday afternoon. The weather should be excellent. Uh, I will be in attendance. Well, I'm yeah, hoping to see Bryce Harper's uh, first hit, per- perhaps his first home run. 
So I will be at that game on Saturday, 72 degrees. I'm looking forward to that. And I will also be there on Sunday night to watch Jake no, Arrieta. Yes. No, you won't. Yeah, nah. we're going to play, man. That's an a.m. rainstorm. Eh, did they move, that, did they move, that, they move yeah. that storm up? Yeah, it's a.m., baby. Come on. All right. Originally, originally, it was a afternoon in the evening storm. Every time that you try to, uh, no pun intended, rain on my parade, Anthony, this season, I'm going to give you the womp, womp, womp. So, uh <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Jake Arrieta will take the mound against the Braves. Kyle Wright, another rookie right-handed pitcher for the Braves. Uh, in back-to-back days here to close out this series, he of the two is the far more talented and more highly touted prospect. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I haven't looked this up uh, today. I think he's their number two prospect, though. Uh, and I believe he's also like a top 30, top 40 uh, prospect across all of baseball. So high upside there. The Braves are very, very excited about him. He had a very impressive spring training. And uh, he, he gets a crack at the Phillies on Sunday night and on, on ESPN in front of a national audience, so long as it doesn't rain. Uh, to me... I, this isn't football. If we were talking about a football podcast here, we would say, what do you think about this game? And how do you think it shakes out? They need to win this one. My thing is just split the last two, win the series, and, yeah. and, and kick the season off on the right note. Yeah, now Kyle Wright, by the way, um, ranked number two prospect by uh, MLB Pipeline. Uh, I think um, Baseball Prospectus had him at their, as their fourth best prospect. As the Braves. Second yeah, Braves. And fourth. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Baseball yeah. Prospectus. And um, Fangraphs has him as fifth best okay. prospect. Um, uh, in the organization, so um, yeah, no, it's it's a uh, you know he's a good he's he's a good young talent. Um, uh, he was a first round pick, uh, I think he was fifth overall in 2017 out of Vanderbilt. Um, so yeah, um, it should be interesting to see see how they face you know these these uh, how they do against these young guys with who don't have much of a you know much of a book on them just yet. Um, although the, the, you know the scouting departments have grown to such a point now where I'm sure they're scouting. Um, video. They have video of all these guys when they pitched in the minors too. So they're they're really going to you know break that them down as well. So it will be an interesting uh, series this weekend. Uh, I'm looking forward to. But I'm I'm really looking forward to beginning of next week when they go to uh, when they go to Washington. Yeah, I'm hoping that we get the uh, podcast in on Monday and uh, we get a yeah. chance to talk about that in a little bit more detail, especially after the last two games of this upcoming series here. Um, across baseball today. I will say this. Uh, I want to try to get on record early, get ahead of this, uh, because I think I might have said something kind of dumb the other night. Uh, We were talking about the Mets, and I'm not that bullish on the Mets this season, but I caught some of that game today, and they won 2-0, and and Jacob deGrom was awesome, as we would expect him to be. Max Scherzer was great for the Nationals. Only the second time in the history of baseball that two pitchers had 10 strikeouts on opening day against each other. Yeah, amazing, and they they were both fantastic. Um, Yeah. Gotta say, Robinson Cano comes up. <laughs> I was making fun of Robbie Cano the other night. I said, "Ah, he doesn't yeah. scare me. I know he hits 300, but you know, PEDs only played 80 games last year, 10 homers, whatever. What's he doing his first at bat? Yeah. And where did he hit it? He went to the opposite field too. Yeah. It was like left center with a little, little, little bit left of center field, and I mean, it was an impressive swing. And I said, "Ah, oh, shit." I don't know. So I, I just want to acknowledge that maybe I was wrong on that. I'm hoping that I, I pull a reverse jinx here by acknowledging it, that he is now destined to only hit nine more home runs this season. But <laughs> uh, if, if he gives them, if I will say this, if, if he gives the Mets 25, 30 homers and hits over 300 this season, the Mets, they could, they could do some damage in the NL East. I will yeah. say that. Yeah. There were some, there were some interesting things going on in baseball today. You had uh, um, Jordan Zimmerman had a perfect game. Uh, into the seventh inning for Detroit um, against Toronto, and they ended up winning that game, but not until the tenth <laughs> when they got two runs. It was a nothing nothing game uh, into the seventh inning. That game was flying along, um, and then the Dodgers hit eight freaking home runs. Yeah, um, Kiki Hernandez had two, right? And so did Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson and Kiki Hernandez each had each had two, um, but they hit eight home runs. They chased Greinke in three innings, like or three and a third or something like that. I mean, it is. They just went off. Uh, so there's there was that as well. And it was um, nice to see the Red Sox get their ass kicked in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, the Red Sox. You know, Chris Seattle was awful today. Three innings pitched, six hits, seven yeah. earned runs, two walks, only four strikeouts. Allowed three home runs. Yeah. Uh, I'm not I'm not really in the art of doing Red Sox research, but I got to tell you, I don't think that Chris Sales had too many games like that. No. 
No, he hasn't. Um, Cubs. I mean, I know they're playing the Rangers, right? Um, they they hit pretty well today. Thirteen hits on the board. Uh, Twelve. By the runs. way, did you see the uh, line in the Yankees Orioles game? I know the game was in the Bronx, and I also know that the Orioles are trying to win five games this season. <laughs> but it's early. It's April or it's March actually, and yeah. it's uh, you know it's baseball. Anything can happen. The Yankees were minus four hundred on the money line today. That's on crazy. Opening day. Yeah, how can you touch it? I mean, how yeah, can you, I, mean, I mean, there's just absolutely no value in that. They ended up winning seven to two, so they would have covered that and the run line. Uh, but I mean, at the same time, I just said minus four hundred on opening day. Oh that's cr- that's absolutely. I was crazy. scared to take the Phillies at minus one eighty or even at plus one hundred five on the run line. Looking at that, I said, eh, it's opening day. Who the hell knows, man? A lot of emotions. Things can happen. Weird well, stuff. No, no. Yeah, not only that, I mean, you know, the Yankees, they do have a bunch of injuries. And, you know, they had a, they threw Tanaka today instead because Severino is hurt. Um, and so you're like, oh, well, you know, and then at least the, the Orioles, who stink, at least they threw out a pitcher who's, you know, a veteran pitcher, like an Andrew Kashner. Uh, he didn't have a good game. But nevertheless, I mean, so you look at that and say, well, gee, how can you bet the Yankees at minus 400? How can you? I, who's who's crazy enough to take that make that bet? But speaking of that, did you see the story about how many people have um, bet on the Orioles to win the World Series this year? How many people have bet on the Orioles? To win there was the World a story. That, there oh was a story God. that I, I I wish I can find it uh, just off the top of my head, but I was just reading it. I think it was yesterday or the day before that um, there were like there are a number of people who actually put a bet down because the odds are so long. Uh, including somebody who put a $500 bet down. It's like, Warriors. and by the way, uh, I make fun of soccer all the time, and I try to act as if I know absolutely nothing, but I do remember when Leicester City won the EPL yes. uh, a few years ago. They were like the longest of long shots, so perhaps the Orioles can replicate that. I don't think so. Don't count on it. No, I, I, I have a hard time naming people in their lineup. <laughs> also, I do have one more thing for you. I, I don't know if you have anything else before we close out here, but I, um, I had tweeted this out before the game today. So one of the things that I do at Crossing Broad is I look up a lot of the gambling trends. You know, when a team is X and playing Y, they're 7-2 and two against the spread, all that type of stuff. So if, if you've been looking at our gambling content, you see I dig a lot of that stuff up. One of the things I came across was when the Phillies are a favorite of uh, minus 180 or more on the money line and Aaron Nola is the starter, and keep in mind this has been as a starter on some pretty bad teams, certainly offensively as well. Phillies entered today 9-1 straight up, and they won again today. So that makes the Phillies 10-1 all time when Aaron Nola starts and they're favored by at least minus 180 on the money line. Just something to keep in mind the next time that he pitches and the line is that big, just the more you know. Yeah. I don't know what to I don't know what to make of that. I mean I I would I'd like to know who those those games were against. I will tell you this, I think that when uh when you look at that situation, a lot of times in baseball I think I, I looked it up today. Last season, teams that were between minus 180 and minus 200 on the money line were winning at like a 64% clip. So you go, oh, that's really good, right? I mean, that's yeah, across you, all teams. It's actually you, you lose over the course of the lose. season on that. Yeah, you do lose. The, the, the losses so far outweigh the wins. Yeah, no, so really the, the smart thing to do when you're betting baseball is you got to bet the obviously you got to bet the pitcher right um, but you know when you find that trend you say oh okay yeah okay so we're gonna go with that because they're minus 180 and they're 10 and one in games when Nola starts but you might have somebody else um, you might have the Yankees be a minus 180 against you know, whoever Kansas City or Detroit just because the Yankees are so much better than Detroit or Kansas yeah. City is but maybe they're not throwing a great pitcher maybe they're trotting out a rookie like when they were trotting out uh, Loisaga last year and he didn't pitch all that well uh, even though he's still kind of a prospect for them and maybe they were minus 180 in that game and, and gets beat so you just really have to be smart about it see why a team is 180 like are they 180 just because they're a superior team but then look at who the pitcher is or are they 180 because of the pitcher and when they're if they're 180 because of the pitcher then I think it's a better bet whereas if they're 180 because they're just a better team and not because of the pitcher then you stay away from it or bet the dog well without really looking at it, I gotta say I think that when the Phillies were 
180 or higher over the past couple seasons was it was probably because of the pitcher and, and really not because of the team because the right. that's what I'm better than many teams last that's year. That's what right I, that's that's what I'm saying. So I think that that's you know don't just look at the odds and say oh my god that's great yeah um, or or oh they win you know they comes comes through 64 percent of the time which is a really good number um, but when you're when you're when you when your losses are for <laughs> 180 yeah. to win 100. Yeah, it's almost two to one the other way. Like you need you need that to be. Yeah, you got to hit that almost seventy percent to even 75 percent, yeah. right? To yeah. make a profit. So so yeah, so that's so just be smart when you see a line that's one eighty. Um, and, and I know that we're not make a, sure it's for the pitcher and not for just because the team's a better team. I know we're not a betting podcast. It's just that you'll hear me talk about this stuff from time to time because if I'm being honest, I mean th- this is going to be legal in PA within the next couple months. Yeah. And it's already been legal in New Jersey since the end of last summer. If if we're being honest, I would estimate that probably twenty to forty percent of our audience bets on sports and probably bets on baseball. So if if we see things like this jump out from time to time, we'll mention them. It's not a focal point of the show, but I do think it's a little bit. You know, I think it's worth at least touching I, on you when, know, when things I, jump out. I, and I I agree with you. And I I actually like talking about gambling. I really do. And, and I haven't bet on a on a, on a game. And I can't tell you how long. I, it's been years, many, many, many years. I mean, I'll play a pool or whatever. What do time did the? Uh, do you whatever. know what time the uh, Michigan Texas Tech game tipped off tonight? Uh, they're still going. I think it's, oh, yeah, it's half time. <laughs> Michigan. I'm I'm just pulling it up. This is the last time I bet on a game. That's why I asked you this. But uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Michigan basketball has 18 points right now yeah. against Texas Tech with 17 Texas minutes left in the second yeah, half. Texas yeah. Tech's a good team. They actually have like the uh, number one and number two um, adjusted deficiency. Uh, I, I'm sorry, adjusted defensive efficiency rankings in like college basketball this season. Yeah. So this was supposed to be a defensive slugfest, and uh, it certainly it is. is that. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. But, but so I, I think that there's value when we're talking about these baseball games, you know, to look at that a little bit and just you know kind of throw it out there for the listeners. You know, we're not sitting here telling you we're going to give you great picks and you know you should bet with whatever no, we're suggesting. No, I mean, that's not all. what we're saying no, at, all. at all. But if you are going to be, if you are listening to the podcast and you do partake, uh, we'll try and throw a little a little bit of something your way that might um, might be worth list, you know, thinking about when you go to make your bets in New Jersey or online offshore <laughs> or wherever it is wherever you do it I wherever recommend, you go i recommend going the legal route but you know that's just that's just me yeah yeah all right uh so we are going to be short of one hour we did it <laughs> congratulations yes. thanks and it's also not midnight yet so no. uh it's all working for us here this is this is unbelievable all right, like so we're we actually have, awake and just, stuff just so you know we have roughly mm, Two minutes here to close out, get through all the uh, all the disclaimers and advertisements, all that stuff. So let's see how quickly you can do this here. Oh, well, okay. Uh, thanks for listening to Crossed <laughs> Up. Uh, make sure you check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcasting Network, uh, including Snow the Goalie, which uh, Russ and I did for the Flyers as we wrap up the Flyers season. Uh, they still technically not eliminated from the playoffs yet, Bob. Uh, Montreal lost tonight. So you're so, saying there's a chance. So there's still a, ch- there's still a chance. Flyers are still technically in it their tragic number is still two uh they have to either they have to win out and have two of three teams lose out how many games uh, uh would that require like were we talking like two three five no five flyers oh, okay, have five okay. flyers have five games left they Ooh. would have to win all five and then they would need uh two of three teams columbus carolina or montreal to lose out now the thing carolina by the way flyers play them twice so two of those losses Ooh. would be against the flyers um but they need another team besides Carolina to lose out as well. So Doesn't I, sound great. It's not not a real possibility. But we started uh, today. Was we actually when we recorded that earlier? Um, I, I got a little uh, a little fired up because Russ and I were disagreeing. <laughs> and Good. yeah, so I think when you check that out tomorrow, uh, that'll be out tomorrow as well. Um, make sure that uh, you, you, you tune in because we start looking at what this team's going to look like uh, come June or July after uh, after some trades and some free agency. Um, also, there's Crossing Broadcast, which is our uh, uh, flagship show. Uh, usually features Russ and Kevin Kincaid, although Bob jumps on every once in a while. I jump on every once in a while, and a rare appearance by Kyle. Uh, here and there, uh, that's the that's the show that talks about every sport in Philadelphia uh, all together at one. 
Um, that's where you get most of your Sixers and Eagles stuff. And then there are two soccer podcasts. There's Crossing Broad FC with Russ and Phil Kaidel, which is a new episode coming out uh, next week to talk about the European leagues. Um, and uh, there's It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid and a, a, vari- a rotating host uh, with him talking about the Philadelphia Union and the MLS, who now have 24 teams. They've expanded again, Bob. Cincinnati FC is the latest oh, expansion team. They're my they're actually my favorite, so I'm glad. Yeah, <laughs> I threw that in there because God. I know Russ is gonna be listening and he's gonna be like, Oh my god, Anthony knew about the twenty fourth expansion team in soccer? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Give him a little give, give him a little uh Go little, Union. Little low. Go Union, yeah. go America. So anyway. Um, but yeah, tune into all of our, our shows uh, here on the Crossing Broad Podcasting Network. Uh, again, like I had mentioned on the last show, we got some big news coming soon. Can't say what it is just yet, but uh, we got some stuff coming out uh, that you guys are going to be pretty excited about because we are as well. Um, so uh, for Bob, I'm Anthony. We'll check back with you on Monday. Uh, until then, if you have any uh, questions or comments, you can reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, Bob's at BW Crossing Broad. I'm at Ant San Philly. Uh, we will see you on Monday after. The fly, uh, Philly. I said Flyers. Uh, After the Phillies wrap up their series with the Atlanta Braves.